Welcome to the Clear Ads Podcast, Highway to Sell. You're listening to George Roberts, Tom Waghorn, and Helen Robinson. In this episode, we'll be talking about the common mistakes made by Amazon sellers, as well as sharing some top tips to try and avoid these. So this is a big, exciting episode, I suppose. And as we're an Amazon agency, we've encountered quite a few of these mistakes that sellers make, I suppose. Tom, what would be one of the big ones that you can see? Let's just get straight into it. Yeah, well, I think one of the clearest ones is stock issues, with the first one being not ordering enough. I think actually a lot of sellers have probably learned this the hard way over the last 100%. sort of 18 months, especially with the pandemic, where yeah, it was it was hard to even get them manufactured, meaning you were definitely running out of stock sooner. So I definitely think that was a reality check and a shock to the system for a lot of people. And has hopefully been a, a steep learning curve and has put a lot of practices and measures in place for that for going forward. But yeah, not ordering enough stock and not planning their advertising budget to kind of balance that with their stock. Because yeah. before you do advertising, you've obviously got a regular pace that your products are selling at. When mm-hmm. you introduce advertising, you're opening up your your visibility, you're going to get far more more impressions for that product just because you're paying to have your product be shown. So what we would advise is if you're going to be doing PPC, whether that's for the whole account or for a particular product, make sure you're ordering more stock to accommodate that. And if you notice that you're running out of stock, try and slow down your PPC as well so that if you know you've got X amount of stock to last you two weeks before the next batch comes in, and with your PPC, it's likely to be spent through in four days. Try and roll that back a bit so that you can keep your stock stretched for that period. You might not be selling the, the daily units you want to sell, but at least you're still going to be selling every single day at a consistent pace. You're not going to affect the algorithm too much. And more importantly, you're not actually going to run out of stock. I'm going to add to that as well. If you do use an agency for your advertising, just make sure that you give them plenty of warning that your stock is going to run out as well, because it gives them a chance to slow down bids. Because quite often we have a situation where we're told after the event that something's run out and then we wonder why something stops selling. So uh, I think transparency is key there. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, just to any sellers that will be listening, everyone that listens to this will be a seller, of course, like we completely appreciate that Managing stock is such a difficult task in itself, especially with the numerous external factors that have been affecting the marketplace for the past two years, COVID. I mean, even shipping containers costing 10 times the amount they did about two years ago. So all these factors, yeah, that but this is the, the market that we're all in, I suppose, and something that still needs to be considered. Ultimately, the whole point of being an Amazon seller is to be a successful one, I suppose, and ensure that you're still profitable if you run out of stock one you can't sell anything you're not going to be profitable in that time that you're out of stock and secondly it has so many negative impacts on on the business the amazon algorithm and like losing rank etc so yeah it's a very common mistake and i I doubt that any sellers probably not run out of stock once on one of their products it's because it is so difficult to judge but it's something that realistically needs to be at the forefront of your mind it could be really damaging to your ranking as well, because obviously Amazon want you to be able to sell products. It's in their interest that you do sell products. So if you run out of stock, it gives you a, a negative feel and Amazon can punish you for that. So yeah. always be on top top of your stock. 
Yeah, and, and the rankings, they're, they're changing every day, every minute, with every search and every sale anyway. And just imagine how far you will drop if you've been out of stock for a significant amount of time. There is a little bit of a, a safety blanket, but if you do go out of stock, you're not going to be severely punished immediately. But yeah, try not to go out of stock for longer than a week or two. And yeah, as soon as you hit that two-week mark, you might as well try and relaunch that product and, and start again with that listing because you would have lost so much ground. Try and treat your stock like putting petrol in a car. If you want to go from A to Z, make sure you've got enough and, and try and manage that. Great analogy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, make sure you don't break down and run out of stock. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the, uh, the opposite side of this coin, and I guess this is one that people might not think of and might actually think is a good thing, is over-ordering. This is definitely more applicable to people who are selling with Amazon's FBA program because you're shipping your products to Amazon's warehouse. They're not holding it there for free. They are to an extent, but once it's been there for a certain amount of time, you're going to pay for that inventory space, for that shelving space. And if it's just sitting there, you're going to be renting that room for your products, spending that money, and, and on the flip side, not earning the money because you're paying for it to not be sold. So try and gauge how many units you're actually selling regularly and and make sure that you're sending Amazon that much stock so that you're not left with a huge portion of stock sitting on the shelf that you're going to end up being charged for. Yeah, catch-22, isn't it? I suppose. It is a catch-22. And there's going to be some times where you've got a product that's great and then someone new comes onto the market, they undercut you and all of a sudden your sales start slowing down. So you're going to have to adapt on the fly and regularly. So that might be a chance for you to to reduce your price either to match theirs or undercut theirs slightly. Um, but there might be some occasions where you discontinue a product and even discontinuing that product, you've still got to get through that excess stock. And there's probably a good reason why you discontinued it as well. So you've got to decide like how do you get through that stock are you just gonna bite the bullet reduce it severely and try and sell through it as quickly as possible just so that you make as much money as you can quickly without then having to pay amazon to sit through it or are you going to come up with a strategy where you're still going to treat it like it is an ongoing product but once it's out of stock that's it for good so tom what would you recommend how can people manage their inventory there's a few tools out there. Jungle Scout is probably the first one that comes to mind. You've also got your own inventory tab within Amazon, but Jungle Scout's inventory manager is incredibly helpful because within that you can actually set up an order plan to help you avoid those overstockings or even running out of stock. So it'll work on both sides, A, for our previous point, and B, for this point of, of over-ordering. Jungle Scout do have a free plan. I'm not sure if the inventory manager falls under that, but you can at least get on the free plan to have a tour of the platform and get a demo and see what other tools are available because it's probably not going to be the only time we mention Jungle Scout on this podcast because, yeah, its sole purpose is to help sellers who are researching a product launching that product and then managing the ongoing sales of that product it's very different to other popular tools that we've we've talked about consistently over the 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 past few months like helium Mm -hmm. 10 helium 10 is very good at optimizing your listings and then optimizing your ppc and your keyword research but this this is more the early stages in my opinion 
And not to plug our own content, but we actually did just write a document about that. If you do want access to that document, just email me, george.roberts at clearads.co, and I can send you some more tips on that if Cheers. they're needed. Thanks, George. Yeah. And I guess the Jungle Scout program would lead us nicely into our next point as well about people not researching the product they're selling or even going a step further and researching the category that their product falls within. So one of the first uh, uses of Jungle Scout for us was when George, our our CEO, was starting the journey of becoming an Amazon seller himself. And we'd met the Jungle Scout team, so we knew the purpose of the platform, but we were using it to to look for, for how competitive the market was, looking for the product that George wanted to sell and seeing how saturated that market was. Yeah, it's great. You can type in your product design and your product idea and then see how many other things come up against that, that, that search, that product type. And you can do that between every individual market. So it's not just restricted to the US. You've got UK, all of Europe and so on and so on. And it's even got some tools in there to help you sort of source actually buying that product or manufacturing that product so i would highly recommend at least looking into the free version of jungle scout for that and the fact that george moretta doesn't actually own his own amazon business at the moment i guess it's harder than it looks just to to source a product and sell it it is yeah and one of the main reasons we wanted to do it is because we were getting a lot of questions about you know how to source how to launch how to list how to set up how to even make your, your own ASIN and, and SKUs. So that was a great learning curve in getting those basics. The thing that caught George out, caught him out, it's the wrong word that's doing his uh, research a disservice. When he did search for the product, it was, yeah, there, were, there was hardly anyone else doing it. But by the time he'd gone through the chain of, of getting the, the stock and supplying the product and getting it listed, obviously everyone else had the same idea and found that same niche so all of these people were launching the same product at the same time and all had very different ideas about what the price would be and yeah we were beaten to the the post by the people who are actually launching from the US because that's where George was launching himself so George had extra costs in actually shipping out to the US from the UK. Well, probably yeah. lucky for us that it didn't work out for him because we're all here now so it's all good. <laughs> it's one of those things i mean with our clients they they're usually not new sellers but we we do get a lot of inquiries of new sellers and i I suppose i'm having difficult conversations with prospects about how are you going to succeed on the platform when it's so comparable to so many other products out there and your price points like five dollars more because in fact your costs are significantly higher because various reasons whether it be like economy of scale you've not ordered enough stock or you've just done poor research actually on the manufacturer side and various other things but when yeah it's just so difficult to actually do so i mean leading on to probably the next point is finding something you're passionate about doing that you love love to do rather than selling i don't know tea towels that's a random thing yeah i I would actually (laughs) counter your point there that selling something you're passionate about it's good because it means you're invested in that product, you, you've researched it enough, you've probably made sure that you've sourced a high-quality product rather yeah. than just going for the cheapest option out there and the cheapest shipping and manufacturing. Although that may be attractive, 
it probably means that the quality at the end of the day is something you've definitely compromised on because you've got it for a low value. The quality can often come at a similar level to the price point. But uh, yeah, I do think this one might surprise people. But yeah, it might make sense to sell a product you're knowledgeable or more passionate about. But sometimes it can do more harm than good. So make yeah, sure 100%. you are on the ball and you're not overly invested in that product. It is good to have passion, but it can cloud your judgment, lead to mistakes in your pricing, make it harder to bail out of a product that is failing just because it's not selling because yeah, you're yeah. so overly invested in it. If it's not selling, you're like, well, it has to be good. It has to be good because I believe in it. My mum said it was great. My friend said it was great. <laughs> that, that sort of thing you see on sort of American Idol or X Factor here in the UK that mum said I was a great singer and then they go out and they sound like a giraffe yeah. or something that <laughs> looking for its kids. <laughs> so, yeah, while it's not wrong to sell something that you're passionate about, it can cause you to yeah react yeah. emotionally rather than logically yeah you know? that's a good point and I, I suppose leading on from that it's just more like like we spoke about earlier it's doing that research and ensuring yeah. that that there's a pain point for that product and it's filling yeah. a use case rather than being so similar to every other product out there i was sort of at this event uh, a couple of months ago and, and they highlighted every sort of massage gun that was on amazon and it's like that boomed a couple of years ago you see all these massage guns now on loads of e-commerce stores and all of them just had the same photos same use cases yeah. and none of them are different and it's like people just jumped onto a trend and then it's just oh what do we do when say if someone jumps onto that now because they think it's a good idea when in fact it probably isn't you're just going to be throwing money away yeah yeah well from sellers that i have my clients that the most important thing is a really good relationship with your supplier because quite often suppliers can make recommendations and if you've already got a relationship with them then you know it's, it's much easier to get that new product up and running because you've already got the the distribution channels so yeah it, it, that's a really good place to start yeah quite and, and, well with. and quite often these suppliers regardless of whether in the where they are in the world if you're building a relationship with them you'll get a better deal going down the line. Like, well, Let's say yeah. you ordered 1,000 units this month and it cost you X amount. Next month, you order 2,000 units. It might not cost X times 2. It might cost X times 1.5. So like, you might get discounts the, the longer you're with them, the more you order from them. And if you can, and that's hard, especially in today's climate, and could be quite costly and a bit of a risk, but go meet your supplier. Go visit the factory. Mm -hmm. Quite often... That sounds crazy because a lot of these manufacturers and sellers are actually over in China. But there are conventions where you can actually go and these sellers, they rent out these huge spaces and all these sellers, they're there uh, doing private label for all of their products. And you can actually go and speak to them, meet them, research the products. You might find 10 sellers there that are all selling in theory the same thing on paper, but one might have a few more features. One might be cheaper, one might be slightly more expensive, but higher quality. But yeah, like Helen said, build that relationship and it will yeah, it'll only be fruitful in the long run. And distribution is really important as well. Like I know um, somebody whose business has boomed over COVID during lockdown because their supplier recommended they fly the goods over from China rather than have them shipped over. And obviously we know what happened with the Suez Canal and yeah. um, there was Chinese New Year and a lot of people had their stock stuck on boats and theirs was flying over freely. So again, just having that insight from your supplier can be invaluable 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I think to quickly go back to where we were talking about having a product that you're passionate about, if you are doing that, make sure you've got your focus right and that ultimately you're focused on the bottom line. So whatever happens with the data, the figures and the sales, that's what actually influences your decision rather than coming back to, you know, being passionate about this project because, yeah, it, it might change lives or it might make things easier. Like if, if, if you're in this for a business and you want it to be profitable, concentrate on the bottom line. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and that's the case for anything. E- even, I mean, some of our clients now are passionate about some of their products that they've had for quite a while, but then when they've introduced new products to their product line that are more successful, they still want to focus yeah. on the older one because that's their baby, I suppose. Yeah. It's all, all always be let the data guide your decisions, whether that's with your Amazon advertising or just the results that you're generating from your business anyway. If, if you're losing money or you're not as profitable as other product lines, then why not focus on developing more product lines that are profitable? And obviously um, don't go too cheap with your products as well, because if they're poor quality, then obviously that's going to give you a whole new load of issues with poor yeah. reviews. So you've obviously got to be careful that the quality's there. Yeah, absolutely. It's those, it's those early stages of trying to set everything up correctly. And, and even talking about those trend markets that you were talking about earlier, George, with the massage gun, mm. chasing trends can be extremely risky, especially if you're a new seller, because they tend to only be really profitable for those sellers and those people that are actually early to the party, yeah. <laughs> even the ones that actually just come up with the idea for the product. Like, even looking back sort of four or five years ago, uh, 2017, a product that everyone was playing with in schools and giving to their kids, the fidget spinner. That made those early sellers tons of money. But obviously, as more sellers and more manufacturers jumped onto that bandwagon, demand crashed, a lot of money was lost. And just like any fad or any trend, it's only got a short shelf life. Like The kids are going to get bored of it eventually. So don't hedge your bets on that and go all out on one product which you know has a finite shelf life i guess if a product is trending on social media or or tv you're probably already too late if that's the first time you've seen it even if the market looks amazing with like all these sellers moving thousands and thousands of units like they might not even need reviews to sell them because people don't care about the reviews in a trend like especially with the fidget spinner, it's a tiny bit of plastic with some ball bearings. Like People don't have time to review that. They're just going to use it, wait for the next fad, and then buy into that. Yeah. And I suppose, Tom, once you've got your product and you've done all your research, what's the best way to give it the best start on Amazon? Coming up with a decent launch strategy, basically. So the, the first thing I would do is, is put as much effort as you can into doing that research for the product and actually sourcing it, but then putting as much or even more effort into building out the listing, including a quality array of photos. Yeah, because between your photos, your title, your bullet points, your product description, there's not much other space to capture uh, a consumer's attention and explain to them and brag to them and show off to them what your product is, what it does, and what its unique selling points are. So. That's why it's really important to use that limited space that you've got to its full advantage. And even here, you can utilize tools like Helium 10 who will scan your listing, optimize your listing. Like You don't have to set the listing live. You can experiment with it. You can create drafts. 
but yeah, effective listing copy can accomplish a couple of goals. So A, it will provide a persuasive sale copy while also helping you to index for the valuable keywords that you've researched in the early stages. So you, you want to select the keywords that are relevant to your product, the ones that you think are, are actually going to get the majority of the impressions and the clicks. And you'll be able to do keyword research, and we talked about it before, where you'll be able to see their impression share, their search volume, their sales velocity. Like You can get information from Helium 10 as to how useful those keywords are. So before launching your listing, make sure you do this extensive keyword research. Find the most relevant ones for your product. Make sure they're in your listing. Most importantly, make sure they're in the title and in the bullet points, because that's where you're going to get the most value for indexing. And this doesn't even include moving into PPC yet, because obviously we have to factor in organic search. And make sure that if you're writing the copy yourself and you've not outsourced this to a listing optimizer or a copywriter, that it's engaging and it's also accurate. Because the last thing you want to do is make a mistake in there or tell a white lie, I guess, and then it backfire on you because someone bought something they thought was... Yeah, I thought it was something that it's not actually what it is. Yeah, and I guess in terms of your bullet points as well, really focus on your features and benefits. Yeah. What is the feature? What makes you unique? Or what makes your product a little bit different from the next? And then put that into to caps, capital letters for the start of your bullet points and then explain what the benefit of that feature is. Just make it yeah. really simple for somebody to make a good choice and pick your product. Yeah, yeah. Like, li- listing off if it's if, if it's a food product, if it's vegan, or if it's cruelty free, or if it's uh, made from recyclable or reusable materials, anything like that that would not be immediately obvious from the picture, but is a unique selling point. Yeah, get that in your title, get that in your yeah. bullet points, like those main things, like especially the title as well. Like you've only got a small, very small window to catch someone's attention on Amazon. Yeah. The only way you can do that is with and a strong title so definitely get some unique points or why someone should buy your products within the first well immediately because if not they're going to scroll through and probably not purchase your product yeah Yeah. make sure your a plus content is different from your bullet points and your description because if somebody hasn't been sold on your product at the top and they scroll down to your a plus content you need to tell them something new or different about your company like how did the company start out you know, are your products handmade? You know, where's your passion? What What is your passion for your product? So really sell it to them or maybe put a video down there as well. Yeah, the A-plus content is is the place to tell the story of your business and your product rather than just say it's 20 by 13 in, in dimension or something like that. Like really tell the mission statement behind your company, your brand and the product that you're selling. And even on the photo side, well, we mentioned having a strong image Obviously, you've got the terms and conditions to, to work around, but try and make the most of the the slots you've got for those images. I think at the moment you can have eight. Come up with different ideas, like use a lifestyle image. Show someone or something using that product. If it's uh, a dog collar, show a picture of someone out for a walk with the dog wearing that collar, hopefully looking happy and having fun, wagging its tail or something, just so that they can see what it looks like out in the wild. Or putting some text on some of your images not your hero image that needs to be clean and on a white background but yeah 
we're in a visual world now. Some people might be even too lazy to read the title or the bullet points and might just click through to some of your pictures. So if you've got any important points or relevant dimensions on there, put those on the image. And it doesn't even have to be a different image to your your hero image. It can just be that replicated with some, uh, yeah, text or some some bullets on there. I was informed recently that the average reading age um, of consumers on Amazon is 13 to 14 years old. So you've really got to make it simplistic. Okay. Really? There you go. Yeah, I didn't know that. It, uh, wow. Wow. Well, there you go. Thanks, Helen. It's what right. an insight. <laughs> yeah, you're dropping knowledge bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's really that's really interesting. Yeah. So, so I guess try not to overcomplicate it with, yeah, te- text and wording that might not appeal to the common denominator. I guess so. Cut the waffle. Yeah. Mm. I, if if you do need to list your ingredients. Yeah, I guess don't make that the the majority of your listing. I know in the supplement space, it's it's often quite important for sellers to to brag about the the unique ingredients they've got in there, and you'll quite often find people who love their supplements and are in the know will be searching for these individual um, ingredients that set it apart from everyone else who's selling uh, a curcumin product, for example. But yeah, I guess the point we've taken today is don't rely just on that to, to carry a product. Cover cover the basics as well. Yeah, I suppose category is important as well. Does it because you you see some products and they're very similar, but they're in different categories. Like, how important is it to get the right category for your product? I would say it's very because you want to be visible from the searches that are relevant to your product. So, yeah, some sellers try and categorize themselves in a lower competition market that way they can earn the best seller badge for the for the keywords that they're trying to use for the actual product itself but that can mean that they've backed themselves into a corner because they're in a category that is relevant to their product but not the main category that would actually get them more sales so a lot of searches will filter to a specific subcategory so i guess incorrectly categorizing your product could filter you out of crucial search results you can actually look up your product in seller central to determine potential categories so just make sure that when you're doing that your product is in one that is actually relevant to the one you're choosing so yeah i do think it's important because people people do search via category and i've had a seller in the past where they put themselves in the overall category so it was pet supplies but they hadn't put themselves in the subcategory, which should have been dog collars and tags and leads. So we were able to find them when we were looking at the overall category. But when we drilled it down, we were just completely undiscoverable, just not on any of the pages. So as soon as we got that fixed, we were still in the top category because it still goes down the tree. But more importantly, when we drilled it down to the category that we actually wanted, we were discoverable. And also it means that you can be amongst your competition it may seem sensible to put yourself in a category where they're not but if people are looking for a dog collar they're going to be in the dog collar category and you'll often see that when you click on the product when you look at the search bar above it's automatically switched from where it says all and then it's it's put that as the category you're in so then when you start shopping around that category hoping to find the right thing for you my product's not going to appear because i've not put it in that category if, if it didn't appear on that first page, it's, it's a goner. Sounds good. 
yeah, all really good points, I suppose, about just, I mean, yeah, doing your research and making sure you're prepared to launch the product effectively and efficiently rather than just going in willy-nilly without any sort of objectives or any research. It's it's definitely going to bite you on the behind if you don't. So, (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, I suppose we should talk about advertising as well and, and sort of touch upon the common mistakes we see with those, I'm pretty sure we, we did touch upon it in a past episode, but especially in the initial term, what what are the sort of key mistakes that you see? And I suppose I can touch upon what I see in the audits that I do, which are pretty common. But yeah, it'd yeah, be great to see well, your insight on that, Tom. I guess the, the core of advertising is spending money to get your product out there. So in the early days, I think the, the biggest problem was when people overspend or they mm-hmm. launch PPC too early. It can be a bit of a catch-22 because it, it makes sense to do advertising for people to discover your product. But if people are going to type in their search terms and their keywords and then find your product, which hasn't been optimized, hasn't got great images, has no reviews, are people likely to buy that anyway? So try and establish your product organically first. It doesn't matter necessarily about your rankings to start with, but try and get some reviews in. Whatever methods you use to do that, whether you're just relying on goodwill or if you're, <clears throat> yeah, get get uh, getting requesting feedback from people who have bought those to do so. So yeah, yeah, try try and, and get some sort of ground and distance covered before you launch your PPC. But yeah, try not to spend too much in those early days without getting proper results. Try not to go too wide and cover every single targeting type out of the gate. Set up an automatic campaign to see what people are actually searching for for your products set up some manual campaigns and I would advise starting with long tail keywords to start with. If you go for the more broader competitive terms, they could potentially cost you a fortune, especially in these early days where the market could potentially be competitive. So there are already big sellers out there that are able to bid on terms like dog collar, for example. You might want to start longer tail and do uh, custom engraved dog collars or or dog collars with patterns or something like that that's uh, that requires someone to actually search for those additional lines but that can help you carve out a niche a lot quicker than trying to go straight to the top of the pile i know you mentioned on a previous podcast tom about keyword.io is it yeah 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 that's a really good tool for for uh, long tail keywords for example, you could just type in dog collar and it will auto-complete hundreds of terms for you that are relevant. It's a bit like when you go on Google and you type in what is the, and then all of a sudden it tries to auto-complete that and suggest and, and think what you're about to type. Reason we didn't win the Euros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the solution to world hunger, for example? But on keyword IO, you can type in dog collar and it can follow up with personalised or engraved or four dogs as mad as that sounds some people will use that and it can work or dog collar red dog collar green dog collar leather it's going to find all of these for you in brand analytics Mm. if you look at the keywords that you want to rank for say for example dog collar you can see what percentage of the market is already been taken up by sellers so if the top three converting brands for dog collar are taken up 75% 75% of the market, that only leaves 25% for the other 1,000 sellers. 
yeah. in that market space. So although it, it looks like a good place to start, you might not be able to bid that competitively. Like you said, when you, your sales aren't there to reflect your bids. So yeah, it's definitely worth being a bit clever and thinking outside the box. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up brand analytics because that is a severely underutilized free tool within Amazon. Now, this tool, like Helen said, you, you can identify market share, you can look at basket analysis, you can see what other products of yours people are buying. So if they buy product A, what other products of yours do you buy? This could be great for setting up sort of cross-sell campaigns on, on platforms like DSP, for example. But this tool, you have to remember, it, this cost, as a subscription, just for vendors, it was about $10,000 right. per month. And all of a sudden, they just switched it off, and it was free. But because it's free, people ignore it. <laughs> so there's so much data in there. And just comparing like the keywords and your products to everything else on the market is incredibly <laughs> valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I suppose one thing that I always see, especially with like newer sellers when I'm running audits just to sort of help them out, is just think about what you're actually implementing rather than just using the keywords that Amazon have given you that are sometimes yeah. actually not relevant. You've got to be very granular with what you're doing and use the data to guide your decisions. As Tom, you mentioned using the data that you established from an auto campaign, which you can then follow a migration process from either the broad phrase and down to exact match. But rather than just guessing or, or just going in blindly of what a suggested keyword is, test it if that's what you're going to do and mm. then optimize from it. But don't just blindly follow a search term just because a tool says it's going to work. Use the data and then make a decision from it. Just don't keep blindly increasing the bids because like, I've seen that loads recently, which is, yeah, it's it's, it's not good and something that, yeah, is, you're just going to be throwing dead money down, down the pan. And yeah, talk just... about interesting keywords as well. What would you do? So if you were launching a new, a new marketplace with a different language, what's the best way to do that keyword research? That's interesting. I guess it depends how familiar you are with the local dialect. Uh, um, that's not at all. <laughs> Very questionable translations. Well, then, then an auto campaign is going to be great because that's actually just going to show you exactly what people searched for for your product to be discoverable, and for them to actually purchase it. Especially those search terms that actually lead to sales and more than one sale. At that point, you know it's not an anomaly, not an accident. Things like. Helium 10, they will do keyword research for you for the different markets as well. So you're not completely left to the devices of an auto campaign. Obviously, you still have the issue of not knowing what that keyword is. So sometimes Google Translate is your friend is your friend there, especially for those keywords that have got high search volume, because you could be putting in a completely irrelevant term and blowing all your budget on that. So, so do do your due diligence and check what some of these terms mean even when they're coming through auto campaigns but there are there are companies out there that will do the listing optimization and the keyword research for you for for other markets so if you do feel out of your depth there are places that you can reach out to help you with that and just because something's worked in one market do you think it will work in another no i would never assume as much yeah even going from our small island of the UK over to the US, you think, well, these keywords work here, and 
the US is bigger, so there's more people, and that means more people are searching for it. You're going to have different slangs, and yeah, certain keywords are going to be way more competitive. So you might have carved your niche for a certain keyword in the UK, but in the US, it's like throwing a small fish into a big pond. Yeah, recently with kebabs can be said in many different ways. We've we've since discovered. Yeah. Across yeah. the pond. Yeah. A, a kebab. kebab. Is that, is that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you've got you know, Giros and Turkey and Greece. Yeah, completely different words. So, yeah, do your research. Do your research. I think research is the important takeaway from today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one thing for me as well is just goals and having specific goals, whether they're SMART goals. And, I mean, I don't need to go into the definition of those. You can look up SMART goals yourself, I suppose. But even goals for the business itself or goals for your campaigns, goals give you an idea of where you – or what you want to achieve, and it potentially gives you a roadmap of how to achieve that. So starting an Amazon business to just say, I want to make a million dollars in the first year, it's not enough realistically and you need to be more granular of what you be what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it so make detailed goals when you're initially setting up the business i mean i'm sure most sellers do that anyway or i would hope and when when you start to create campaigns um make them make sure they're goal orientated so your autos can be your discovery campaigns and then when you're starting to scale and you have the data that you've migrated over from those you can create your scaling campaigns or you can create your profitability campaigns or your competitive targeting campaigns all of these campaigns are going to have very specific goals and different targets for you to try and achieve from them so be more goal orientated. So something yeah. that I sort of stress on every audit that I do. What are you trying to achieve with this money that you're spending and what would be the desired outcome from it? Yeah. From that, you can make decisions from it rather than just thinking, oh, I thought that would work. Well, no, you need to be more granular and, and more goal orientated. Yeah, and do that for each product you've got. You yeah. don't have to have the same goal across the board. I actually had a a client share with me their their strategy and it drilled down to every market and to every product and we know exactly if that product its goal is for, for growth and generating leads or if it's for growth and actually trying to make that efficient at the same time so that they are ACOS focused but they want to grow or if it's a product that's going to go out of stock soon so they've just set it to sell out meaning we're going to sell it as much as possible because it's going to be discontinued regardless of what results we get, if it's a launch strategy, etc. Or even a product that hasn't been sold for two years and then we want to bring it back into the market, sort of a relaunch strategy. So make sure you know exactly what you want from that and, and what your overheads are, your cost of goods, what your actual goals are, whether you've got a goal for spend, whether you've got a desired ACOS target, whether you've got um, a goal for for your hero product, what percentage of your total revenue do you want that product to represent? And that way you're constantly focused on those goals and you don't get to the end of the year and realize that your hero product only did 10% when you want it to actually do 80%, for example. So yeah, really getting focused on that. 100%. And yeah, if, if you're not thinking about those things then and you, you're an Amazon seller, then you should be 
thinking yeah. about those things. You should be granular enough to have multiple different documents and sheets identifying what you want to achieve. So then whether you're outsourcing any tasks, then people can align with those goals and then try and achieve them for you as well. So yeah, it's just been really granular of everything to do with your business and create specific goals to try and achieve that. Yeah. So George, what's the top tip you would give to people from the audits that you run? Well, honestly, most of them are just structure and what are you trying to achieve with this campaign? I mean, some, some of them are like 500 keywords deep, all different match types, and it's like you're running at a 70% ACOS and they're like, what are you trying to do with this really? And then they're not migrating it. So it's having a clear structure of how these campaigns should be set out and, and whether that's a lack of knowledge, which sometimes happens, of course, and maybe not doing their research into best practices, but then having these goal-orientated campaigns, like I mentioned, so using the portfolio system or just having identifying the goal or what you're wanting to achieve with the naming convention so that you're clear of what it, what it's trying to do rather than just having 700 keywords in a campaign, which is just ultimately doing nothing for your brand. And then just, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Some of some of the audits I do would yeah blow your mind, I suppose, with the structure. Thousands of campaigns, loads of different ad groups, and they're not even using automated systems. And you're like, you just what what's going on? Well, you need the to hardest be... thing is just when they they haven't got the ace in in the name, the campaign name as well. So you don't know what's in that campaign or yeah. what it's meant to be doing or what what it's serving. So. Yeah. yeah, but from the from the outside looking in, it's it's always hard to identify. But then when you have the conversations with them and like, I don't know, and then you're like, well, actually, that's where the issue is. Like, if if you knew and and they're actually making decisions that are aligning with what they want to achieve, then that's great. And I mean, of course, there's best practices on how you should name things and structure out campaigns. But if the person actually operating on it doesn't know either, and it's just a case of oh, I created that eight months ago and it's still running i've reduced some bids but that's it and it's like well no wonder you're you're at a pretty high acos or you or you're not where you want to be because you haven't been granular enough in in the initial stages yeah, yeah it's difficult to see the wood for the trees when you're actually in the account 100 you're working on it so it's, it's nice to get a bit of uh, an external view sometimes yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I've even done some audits for our own accounts, haven't I? And then sort of it's easier to see when, you, yeah. when you're looking in, spotting some things that could potentially miss because if the account manager or the Amazon sellers doing it every day, day in, day out, you, you, you do get sort of blindsided and you, you sort of stay on this, this, the momentum that you're currently on. But yeah, that lack of clarity is probably the biggest issue I see um, all the time, lack of clarity yeah. for goals and structure. Okay, I guess another th- piece of advice, and this is going to be a really boring one, so we're not going to end on this one, but is read the T's and C's. So read those terms and conditions every step of the way. We all do it. We see them pop up. We scroll to the bottom and tick the box, and then we move on because yeah, it's just like any contract that we read, whether we're signing up to an email list or installing a new piece of software, we scroll to the bottom and click OK. What's the worst that could happen? But actually read it because there's going to be so many little things that could easily trip you up and oftentimes some of these are irreversible and irreparable and you're just going to have to start again if amazon will let you so make sure you read all the terms and conditions every step of the way that can be down from 
what keywords you're actually allowed to put within your title. There are certain ingredients for certain health and beauty products that you just can't mention. There are certain products you can't sell in certain markets to certain ages. There are certain products that you can sell but can't advertise. So make sure you've done your research. We keep saying that word, research. But yeah, read the T's and C's. If it takes you an evening or two, just do it because it could save you weeks and months of hassle on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. It's that age-old analogy, fail to prepare and prepare to fail. And it's very apt for any Amazon seller that's not done their due diligence, I suppose. Wise words, George. So we we said we weren't going to end on that boring one. What should be the last tip that we clarify for our listeners? Customer feedback. It's, It's easy to assume that everyone's going to review your product. You need to follow up on this. Quite common that if the product's good, people aren't going to review it. But if it's bad, they will. So it's on you to get that good feedback. There's multiple ways that you can do this. Um, you develop your own system for requesting feedback. You've got software and, and third-party tools like Be Cool, Feedback 5, Feedback Genius. You can use those, and they're, they're great tools that will help you source those reviews from the people who have actually bought it from you. And you can even be creative with, with your packaging and requesting reviews, and that way you've actually got a verified purchase review as well on, on your product listing for when people go through there. Amazing. Yeah, great, great things. And I mean, yeah, every, everyone's so guilty of not actually leaving reviews. You, you only really do it if I suppose it's negative. I've got better on Amazon just reviewing like everything because it, it sort of emails you, doesn't it, and tells you to do it. And I'm just like, oh, I'll do it just because, but I never write actual text i just do the stars do the stars so i suppose that's better than nothing but yeah it it is hard and ultimately not many people do do it i always do it now because i know the pain of for our customers when they don't get reviews so i always do it thinking of the the seller on the other end so (laughs) i I guess i'm kind of between the two i i don't review unless they've asked me to so if i get a follow-up email like a week or so later saying oh thank you very much for buying our product how did you find it? And then I'll actually go and write the review. But if I've got my delivery from Amazon and then I yeah, I wear my new T-shirt, I'm not going to go review it unless someone's asked me because if it's good, I've got nothing to write about. If it's bad, I want to make sure I put a review down to to warn other people and then potentially get a refund or, or some money back or a replacement. But if it's good, you know, it's not going through my mind that I need to do that. But there was a study recently that actually showed that around 92% of shoppers who have read a positive review will follow through with that purchase. So trying to get those reviews is key. And I I will read a review for everything, especially on Amazon where it is a sort of an open and free market where anyone who's anyone can sell anything. You're not always buying directly from Amazon where they've actually, you know, verified that product and that seller. So I'll always be looking at the reviews and if you can see consistent quality feedback and a decent review rating then you're more likely to get those sales so yeah and on that note as well i was sorry tom i was going to say when you're doing your keyword research as well a really good place to start are reviews so if you look at the top product in your category look at the reviews that they're getting and if they're getting uh, like if, if somebody's writing in their review um most comfortable bedding ever you know that it's kind of that sort of that's what people are looking for when they type in into a search 
So it's kind of worth using your competitors' um, feedback to create your own keyword research. It's also good for product research. So if you if you wanted to sell, what was it you said, a, ma- a mattress or a duvet? Bed sheets. Yeah, if you wanted to sell bedding and bed sheets, a good place to do research outside of using Jungle Scout and looking at the market is looking at the reviews. If you consistently see negative reviews for dozens of products saying it wasn't thick enough or it wasn't wide enough or it wasn't comfy enough, then try and cater to those gaps within your product. So thanks both. Amazing insights onto the most common and biggest mistakes some sellers make. Hopefully this will enable some sellers to avoid those mistakes or just counteract some of the mistakes that they could potentially make down the line. So thank you very much for listening um, to all our listeners out there. Our next episode is going to be on sponsored brands. So we're going to do a deep dive into how you can develop a brand on Amazon, as well as the numerous tactics and nuances you can take for Amazon PPC to drive results for your business.